This episode of Running From Cops contains some pretty rough scenes of policing on television, as well as audio of people in distressing situations that you might find upsetting. Thanks for listening. Previously on Running From Cops. When I became a cop, the war on drugs was raging. We got him. Hey, get down, bud. Hey, hands on the here, right here. We went, I went from arresting six, seven, eight, nine guys a, a month to arresting over 300 people a month. I mean, it was crazy. I think he should go to jail. So he's not helping us and cooperating with us at all. And we wouldn't have done it quite successfully if it wasn't for cops. Nothing as is compelling as cops breaking down doors and throwing people on the ground and arresting them. Come on out here, just keep your hands where I can see him. I see the dope pipe in your hand, dude. Well, what happens if we just arrest a few hundred thousand mostly black and brown young men and lock them up in upstate prisons? Will that have any impact on the drug problem in America? David, we know what it takes. We know how to help you. No, I've never signed anything at all. Are they required to get permission? They are. They're required to, to have you sign a release. Yeah, I've never signed anything anywhere, anytime. Episode 3. Nothing's voluntary when you've got handcuffs on. My producer Henry and I are in a park in Tampa, Florida, standing weirdly close to some kid's birthday party. Super Mario Party decorations hang off the gazebo, kids running and bumping into each other like happy idiots. It looks like fun. But we are not here for kick, although I wouldn't have turned it down. We are here to meet up with a guy named Corey Robinson. To talk about a different birthday at a different park that was much less fun. It was my 18th birthday. I just turned 18 that day. This is 2010. Here's what Corey says happened. Well, first, my mom picked me up because she got off work around 5 o'clock. Corey's mom takes him for a birthday dinner at a place called Lupton's, and then they run into a buddy of his. He's like, hey, yeah, man, it's your birthday. Come hang with me. So he ditches his mom, of course, and they head to the park. Sundown, the park is usually closed. But that day, it was open because a football game and a scrimmage game was going on there. So they're hanging out, and the game is wrapping up, and so is the sunset, and so is Corey. And then it all happens in a flash. We just hear a whole bunch of footsteps coming, and then we run. We're running. we run running. I jumped over the wall and then I hear, stop, police. So I'm like, I didn't do anything. I don't have anything on me. It's my birthday. I don't, I don't want no problems. So I stopped. When I stopped, I turned around. And in that instant, I got clotheslined by the police like, boom. I just feel the impact. I'm on the ground now looking up. When I looked up, I had a police officer with a camera. I had another guy with a camera. One more, and then the microphone guy, the boom microphone. And then all of them literally have their lights from them just flashing on me, like. And I'm like a deer in the headlight. I'm just like looking up like, I know this is not cops, but it looked like cops. It was cops. The county sheriff's office in Tampa has been on cops for 11 seasons. I just need to stay calm before I get shot, or before I go to jail. That's my thing, because I'm like, I didn't do anything. So they shouldn't shoot me. I didn't do anything, so I shouldn't go to jail. He sits in the back of a black and white for a while. No rights read, no explanations given. When someone finally comes to talk to him, it's not a cop. It's a producer from the show Cops. 
And then he pretty much tells me that, you know, this is cops. We filmed you and I have a release form for you to sign. A release form, something most any reality show will try to get you to sign, giving them permission to use your image on their show. And now Corey has a choice to sign or not to sign. On today's show, why on God's green earth would anyone sign that piece of paper? We are going to talk about power, the power that reality show producers get by working with the police, and then the power the police have to control the content of cops. Plus, what did our 846 episode data dive tell us about how cops portrays crime and race in America? I'm Dan Taberski, and this is Running From Cops. This past January, Trump associate Roger Stone was arrested by the FBI. There's a moment of audio. The first sounds that Roger Stone woke up to this morning. Was CNN was there to capture Stone's arrest on video. About a dozen feds in full combat gear creep silently up to the front door of a townhouse in Fort Lauderdale. They bang on the door and announce themselves. Then they do it again. The door opens, and Roger Stone is standing there in his PJs. They chat for a bit, and then Stone goes back inside. He picks out an outfit. Where did I put my keys? He comes back outside, and he's arrested. It's all very civil. I'm pretty sure the feds brought him some Starbucks on the way over. That is how warrants are served to people like Roger Stone. This is how warrants are served to the people on cops. What's the step? Tony, get the ram! Open your door! Police! Go, Tim. Get the truck! Get down! Stay right there! Get down! Put your face down on the ground in your hand! Get flat! Look at all the pot. We got a bunch of dope here, too. Besides all the glaring differences here, the one I want to talk about is news versus not news. Roger Stone's arrest is news. It's a national story. And the cameras are kept far back, outside the action. But whatever video that they can grab, they can use. Now that cops arrest, the cameras, they aren't kept back like news cameras. They have special access. They get to walk right past that police tape and get right up in there, inches from the suspect's confused face. What's your name? Craig, sir. Craig, put your hands behind your back. Now. Cops is not news. Cops is entertainment. I need to know how many guys you saw go in the attic. Two. You saw. Yeah, Thank man. you. All right. So when this drug bust is over and the dust has settled, if the producers of Cops want to be able to show this guy's face on TV without blurring it out and edit that footage however they want, they now need to get this suspect to agree, to be a part of this entertainment show. They need his permission. He needs to sign a release. Now, he could say no. This guy who has just been arrested, humiliated, possibly injured, cuffed, he could defiantly mumble, nope, I'm not signing, out of the part of his face that isn't being pushed into the floor. But how do we think he feels about his options right now? How do you get the people to agree to be on the show? They the sign suspects. releases, yeah. and we talk them into it. John and Morgan Langley, the producers of Cops. People sign surprisingly willingly. They sign releases. Look at the crap you see on so-called reality TV, much of which is phony anyway. But look at how many people sign up and do stupid things and 
most people who sign do so, you know, fully cognizant of what they're doing. It's just like they talk to them and listen. Here's the good news. At this stage of our show's life, people know the show and it has a certain pop cultural iconic value. And they'll say, get those news cameras away from me. They say, we're with the cops crew. They go, oh, cops. Well, that's okay. That's the hardest part to believe of all of this, I have to say. Well, you got to talk people in it. you got to persuade yeah, them. Any gotta... producer in his worth of salt knows that. I've heard the Langley say this before, about suspects arrested on cops that are happy to consent to being on the show, just to be on TV. Here are the Langleys in another interview. I think that we've become such a reality, star-driven culture. It was the idea that the common man could now become right. a reality a star, right? right? So in turn, now we see on Cops that everybody who... The common criminal wants to be a reality everybody star. Everybody who appears, they sign the release very enthusiastically because that is and where we are. That's where the culture is. It's the kind of thing where you got to take their word for it unless you're going to track down the people who were on Cops and ask them. And take it from me, it's really hard to find the people who have appeared on Cops. And when you do, they're not super huge on talking about it. But we gave it a go anyway. Like, I really... How did you find me? This is Amber. Amber was arrested on Cops in 2018. Put your hands behind your back. Stand up. Oh, God, you can't pull me like that! Stand up. You can't pull me like that! 134, you can release the air. We've got two in custody. Vehicle's clear. After she was under arrest and in the back of a squad car, she says she was approached by a crew member from the show. Uh, he's like, I need you to sign this waiver. He's like, I'm with cops. I can't remember his name. And uh, I was like, at first I was like, no. I was like, I'm going to need you to blur my face out or whatnot. And, like, he gave me a hassle with it. He's like, the only reason why you're getting your cell phone and why you're going to get to smoke a cigarette is because of me. But yeah, the producer was a dick. But being a dick isn't against the law. Honestly, sometimes on TV, it's an asset. And in this case, it worked. So I was like, I just decided to sign the waiver for him. She's not happy about it, but she was convinced. But the man in this segment? I don't need this, man. I'm trying to get my straight. Okay. I understand it. I'm going to work with you, all right? Please work with me, because I ain't doing nothing, man. Pulled over on his bike in Wichita, Kansas. I mean, honestly, I told him him on camera that they did not have permission to put me on TV. His name is Trent. He told us he refused to sign, that he didn't consent. I don't know. I didn't know if they were allowed to do that or what, but I mean, I told them they did not have permission to put me on cops, and they did it anyway. And the woman in this segment. Sir, he's my friend. He came and paid me up from my house. You know, I have kids arrested for drug possession in Pasco County, Florida. I don't understand how I'm getting in trouble for something that isn't mine. Well, that's how it's going to happen tonight. She told us she never signed a release. We need to verify that you guys are supposed to be here. And the guy from this segment. He's not been positively identified yet. Okay. Arrested for giving the police a false name in Wichita, Kansas. They never had me sign anything. They never talked to me afterwards. He says he never signed a release either. And yeah, yeah, it pisses me off. Like, hey, we're going to take your face, your picture, and your shitty situation you were in, and we're just going to sit back here in our corporate place and collect all that cash and, you know, give you the middle finger. How can, how can they really get away with that? Let's just start by looking at these three cases. All three of these people were drunk or high when cops filmed them. Is it possible they did sign but don't remember? 
I asked the Langleys about cases like this. Uh, 24% of the people on the show are inebriated in some way, which is not a surprise. We don't go back six hours later. We have to go back six hours later. You cannot sign an inebriated or an intoxicated person while they're inebriated or intoxicated or drugged out. You have to get it afterward when they're compass mentis. I've talked to people who have who said they don't remember signing really. Yeah, I've talked to many too because we get sued like everybody in media and they say, oh, I didn't know I signed that. And you know what I say to that? Bullshit. Yeah, I never signed anything anywhere, anytime. This is David. He's the guy from Spokane in our last episode who OD'd on cops and then ended up in prison because of it. Here's what he said. I never signed anything for cops. Are they required to get permission? Uh, they are. They're required to, to have you sign a release. No, I've never signed anything at all. But then we looked into it, and we talked to the officer who arrested him. He, he said he, he didn't want to be on cops? Officer Brandon Lynch. He said he didn't sign anything. Oh. <laughs> I watched him. I was there. Officer Lynch says David did sign a consent form. It was after the fact. So it was after he's in the hospital and cleared from the hospital. They went in there and they had like a, a form and they read it to him and he he read it and asked questions and then signed it. Wow, he says he didn't sign it. Crazy. So if he did sign, was he sober enough to do it? The Langleys say to make sure suspects are sober, their policy is to wait at least six hours from the time of their arrest. But when we asked Officer Lynch how much time had passed? Oh, maybe three hours, I'd say, three or four. Did he seem sober? Yeah, he said at that point he was already cleared from the hospital and we were already on our way to, right after that we got left and went to jail. It's worth remembering here that David wasn't just high. He overdosed, he very nearly died, and attempted suicide. If it was three hours or six hours, would either have been enough for David to be in the right state of mind to consent to anything? And it raises another question. Even if people are sober and sign a release, how much consent can there be between a TV producer with a cop standing next to him on the one hand and a confused suspect in cuffs on the other? And believe me, the area I worked in was busy. This is Jerry Worms. He was an officer on Cops in the first season of the show. He was kind of a star in those early days. He even proposed to his wife, another officer on the show. They're divorced now. There was something going on every night. I mean, I probably, there were times when I would make, you know, 20, 30 arrests a month. Why do they sign releases? Um, what do you mean, the suspects? Yeah. Uh, I think part of the time they might have been tricked to thinking that they were going to be released. (laughs) here sign this release and some of these guys actually enjoyed even though they were getting arrested they uh said okay i'll be on tv who cares you know so right but i think some of the suspects actually say sign this release and they thought they were getting released (laughs) i'm sitting in the back of a police car this is me with the langleys again Mm -hmm. and i'm scared shitless and a producer comes up to me and says sign this release Mm -hmm. is there an element of 
cooperation that will make that suspect think that everything will go easier if he cooperates with the producer who's working with the cops. I, you know, look, there's a thing called color of authority. Right. And we you, talk to our guys about this in, all the time. If you go in <laughs> under a color of authority and say, Do not well, claim to be here, I'm, you're standing next to the cop, and you go, well, my buddy and I here want you to sign this release, or yeah. if you have a cop do it. That's yeah, part of training every year. We tell you them, do not even do let them think that you're anybody but a documentary filmmaker. You identify it. You can't well, even, not, not this is my buddy, the cop. It, you know, he's going to help me get the release. It's Anything color like of authority. That. You can't like, do that. In 2005, a suspect in Wichita, Kansas, filed a lawsuit against cops alleging he was coerced into signing the release after being handcuffed to a bench for two to three hours. In 2011, a woman in a Chicago suburb sued cops saying that she was pressured into signing, even alleging the officers showed up at her door days later and at her court appearances with release in hand for her to sign. She never did. That 2013 cocaine bust that we listened to a couple episodes ago? All right, does that not look like cocaine? What is that? Cocaine. According to her attorney, John Burgess? They told her, you either sign this waiver or you won't get a bond. So you're sitting in jail in the holding area, you're 18 years old, and you can't get out of jail unless you sign this piece of paper. So uh, yeah, she signed the waiver, but it was not voluntary. I get, nothing's voluntary when you got handcuffs on. And for Corey Robinson, the guy who says he got clotheslined by the police in that park in Tampa? It was fear. It was fear. Coercion is exactly what Corey says happened to him. But Corey had an ally, someone on his side that neither the police nor the producers had bargained for. I just want to pause here for a second to tell you about Stitcher Premium. If you can't wait to hear more episodes of Running From Cops, you can actually binge the entire season right now, ad-free. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com headlong and use promo code headlong. Okay, back to the show. Corey Robinson was hanging out with friends at dusk in a park in Tampa when he says he was chased and tackled by police with cops cameras recording it all. It's kind of hard to tell the police from the camera crew because literally they're like, it's a team effort. Like, they're all surrounding me. Had you ever been hassled by the police before? All the time. <laughs> all Is that a really stupid question for me to ask? <laughs> no, it's not, a re- it's not a stupid question. How often? Once a week? Once a month? Oh, man. Back then, it would just be the most randomest times. Like, you could be walking and the police would just pull up and then, hey, what y'all doing? Come in. Everybody IDs out. And then, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have, I've had guns pulled out on me by police before prior to that situation. Corey is now sitting in the back of a police car. The police still have not told him why they detained him in the first place. And then a producer from Cops comes up to the window and he says, I need you to sign this release form or you're going to jail with a felony trespassing. Mind you, this is trespassing in a park where a football scrimmage has just ended. It'd be a misdemeanor at worst. And they're threatening him with a felony. So I'm like, screw you, you know, let me talk to the police officers. Corey finally gets an officer's attention. And he says to him, They're telling me you're charging me with a felony trespassing. And I'm going to jail if I don't sign a release for him. He was like, yeah, you should take him up on his offer. He's trying to help you because you either sign the paper or you go to jail. 
he put the window up and he walked away. You know, I don't feel like the TV show should have anything to do with my freedom. He, he came over there with the AV. He was like, hey, man, you, you ready to talk? And I was like, yeah, give me the paper. Let me sign the paper. I signed the paper. like cops oh really i watched it yes this is joy a former cops fan here is what she liked about the show well you know like i know this is bad but like when you see the um the hookers and the crackheads and they're trying to talk their way out of it just the excuses when they're actually doing something and the the excuses they they try to come up with when they're saying it, they really believe that someone's going to believe that. I like the crackheads, I guess. I don't know. No, that's a really honest, that's a really honest <laughs> answer. Uh, and it's totally for real. So that's why I used to, you know, I used <laughs> to like it. She doesn't like it anymore. Not since she got a fuller picture of how it's made. Joy is Corey Robinson's mom. So, you know, my mom, she is a drama queen. He goes, Mom, I got something to tell you. I'm like, what? He goes, Mom, I, I'm like, what? Tell me. Because he thinks I'm going to overreact. Well, it sounds like you maybe have a history of it once in a while. <laughs> well, I know. I'm a mom and I'm a woman. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yes. And he goes, I got arrested. And I'm like, what? Oh, she's like, what? Oh, my God. You okay? What? Oh, oh, my God. What did you do? What did you do? Why are you doing this? this, this? You got drinks? Are you high? Are you drunk? Are you this, 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 this? She's like, just let me finish. And I'm like, no, I signed a release form and they let me go. And she, what? I was upset. And I was especially more upset because he, he, he cried. He was crying. And he was, why were they allowed to talk to him in the backseat of the police car? Why were they working so closely with the camera crew? Why do they have so much authority? Like, no, there's something seriously wrong with this. She calls the police to find out what's going on. And the real cops, they say, you got to call the TV cops people, Langley Productions. You're like, I'm just going to call cops and leave a message. I sure did. The corporate office. What did that message sound like? I'm just like, hello. You know, I said my name. I said my son's name. And I said, I want to make sure this footage never airs on television. And I want it rescinded immediately. And then she hangs up and she calls the news desk at the local TV station. And I said, I have a really great story for you guys. Joy says the producers of Cops backed down. The footage never aired, and they ripped up the release. The producers of Cops declined to comment on Corey's case specifically. And they maintain they won't even consider a segment for the show unless they have a signed release in hand. Of the nine people we were able to track down and speak to who were filmed by Cops, all but one said they didn't sign or were forced into it. When we asked to see the signed releases in those cases, Cops declined. That should be against the law, that they're that they're allowing these producers to lie to these young men like that. You know, so I was just like disbelief that this actually happened for a TV show. This isn't about, you know, making sure the park is clean, making sure the drug dealers are off the street. This is this is strictly ratings. And the producers have seemed like more authority than the police officers. So it's just like, no, it's not funny. 
So no, I don't watch cops anymore. So. But you know who does? Oh yeah, <laughs> I watch it till to this day, and I can't watch what I think about that. You know. Wait a second, you still watch cops? I still watch cops. <laughs> I still watch it just to see, like, man, you know. When you watch cops, who are you rooting for? I'm not necessarily rooting for nobody because they still got a job to do. You know, it is people out here doing criminal things. It is people out here killing, shooting, robbing, kidnapping, everything. So it's just like, you know, they do have a job to do, but I'm not rooting for them because I can't root for the system. You know? What's the appeal of the show? Are we watching for the same thing? It, it appeals to people that, you know, don't have to worry about police pulling up on them with no cameras, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is Dragnet, the first real TV police drama. It began airing in the 50s. This is the city. Los Angeles, California. I work here. I'm a cop. It was created and produced by Jack Webb, who was also its star, playing Detective Joe Friday. Anything else out of the ordinary you might have noticed about the truck, ma'am? Anything outstanding that might have caught your eye? I'm sorry, officer. That's about all I can tell you. He's no nonsense, see? He likes short sentences. No inflection. He's polite. He's honest. He's trying to get all the facts here. What if I could see the note? Yes, I left it over here on the desk. He was a model officer. And just like the show Cops, the hook for Dragnet was that all the stories were true. Just the names changed to protect the innocent. At its peak, 30 million people would tune in each week to see that reflection of what was really going on in the LAPD. But what the viewers didn't know is a lot. Well, and I think Dragnet's interesting, too, because it's where the model of collaboration between Hollywood and the police really gets perfected. Alyssa Rosenberg is a reporter for The Washington Post. She did this really great five-part series on policing and popular culture that I've been thinking a lot about while making this. Although I will say I do think she gives short shrift to the show Cops, but that's just my opinion. Let me put it this way. Dragnet creates a bargain where both the police and the television producers get something out of it. You know, Jack Webb wants to be able to get police officers to work as extras. He wants to get his permits approved. He wants to be able to use police cars and police equipment. And so he cuts a deal with William Parker, who's the chief of police of the Los Angeles Police Department. The deal? Chief Parker gets editorial control over the scripts. He approves the storylines. He can nix whole episodes he doesn't like. That's the kind of meddling that would normally drive a TV producer up the wall. But Jack Webb? He's like, fine with me. Because he gets all this other great stuff in return. He gets these material perks that make the show more financially viable. And he gets this patina of authenticity. He can say, you know, this is really what policing is like, even though they're presenting a vision of policing that has been sanitized by the LAPD itself. And what we found is that COPS is doing something very similar. What did you have to give up for access? In terms of what? This is Stephen Chow, the executive from Fox who developed COPS. In terms of uh, you can't show certain things or you don't want to piss off the police departments that you're participating or? 
There was no quid pro quo. They just we just said well we're contractually they had they they had the ability to to neg things on the show. I don't remember. I don't think so. No. I mean, it's certainly in the contracts now. It is now. As the show grew, the agreement between the show cops and the real cops became formalized. We got our hands on a contract that Langley Productions signed with a police department that was on the show. It reads, Langley Productions, Inc. will produce episodes of Cops with the cooperation of the department. Copies of each film segment will be provided to that department. And it goes on to say, the department has 10 days to make any changes they deem necessary to the segments before they go public. In short, the police get veto power. They decide what footage does and does not air. They decide how good or bad they look, how they're framed, and how the people they police are framed. John Langley declined to comment on the specific language of the contract, but when he describes the deal between the police and the show, he has a milder term for it. He calls cops an invitational show. We cover wherever we can, uh, you know, wherever we're invited, because we're an invitational show. We don't tell people, we're going to come in and film with you, whether you like it or not. Mm. Get real. What do you give up for access? We uh, let them look at the shows, uh, and if they have a real problem, we will change something. And I'll tell you, most people think, oh, there's something that went wrong and they want to hide it. That's not true. Mostly what they want to change is stupid stuff, like... Well, that officer wasn't wearing his hat and a part of our regulation, so you have to wear your hat on duty. I've had that a lot. That's just part of the rules that you have to deal with when you're working with certain topics. Um, do you think that has a chilling effect? Things have changed a lot in the past five, yeah. ten years with YouTube. I mean, they're filming bad behavior from cops left and right. Sure. Like, you couldn't possibly watch all that stuff that's on YouTube. Right. And you've had your cameras pointed at these cops for 30 years, and you've never had anything like this? And how come we're not seeing it on this show? Well, back up a moment. We have shown all kinds of things that I didn't approve of, but I wanted to show. Tell me. Well, I mean, you know, like cops being too rough in a takedown or or being unreasonable with the suspect. That happens. So, I mean, I want to show what happens to the greatest extent possible. Now, I'm an invitational show. I don't have 100% control on it. Guess what? I don't get to put on things because of networks not allowing me to have, have somebody say Jesus Christ on a show. So give me a fucking break. The police department of Palm Beach, Florida, has invited the show cops back so many times that they have been on for 15 seasons. Las Vegas PD, 21 seasons. But if I called out the Langleys right now, I'm guessing I wouldn't be invited back to record another interview. And that's the tricky thing about a show like Cops, about being invitational. If you want to be invited back, you can't piss off your subject. There's got to be something in it for them. So. What's in it for the police? The data we collected from watching all those Cops episodes tells you a lot. First of all, Cops world is a nightmare. Crime everywhere. That part isn't super surprising, but just the depth of it is worth noting. There's almost four times the violent crime in Cops world as there is in the real world. Stabbed in the head and we just pulled the shirt up right now and it looks like he's been stabbed right here also. In Cops world, there's more than three times the drug crime. What's in the cigarette pack, man? A little bit of heroin. Heroin. In Cops World, there's almost 10 times more prostitution. 
I'll give you like, what, $60? No, just give me the 60 we'll do it without the condom, okay? Oh, okay. Those three categories together, they make up 58% of the arrests made on cops. But that number in the real world, barely 17%. That's according to the FBI's Uniform Crime Report. For the producers of cops, I get it. Hookers and drugs and violence, that's what the viewers want to see. But for the police? Projecting a sense of danger is essential to building the need for policing, both in terms of budgets, but also ideologically. Alex Vitale is a professor at Brooklyn College and the author of The End of Policing. Catchy title. We've had this dramatic crime drop over the entire length of the series of cops just about, and yet when we ask the public, they report the sense that the world is incredibly dangerous and the only thing that's keeping civilization going is our reliance on this coercive and punitive force in society. And that's where the second part of the equation comes in, just how effective the cops on cops are at dealing with all this crime. 84% of all interactions with police on cops end in arrest. Unrealistic, but also unsurprising. On cops, they always get their man. Arrest equals success on cops. So at least we got one of the bad guys. But what was surprising is that we found not only are the cops good at their jobs on cops, they're getting better at it. In season two of Cops, 61% of segments on the show end in arrest. This past season, season 30, it's 95%. They're, they're trying to hide, we're trying to find them, kind of like hide and seek. So that's the fun part of the day. We try to keep the police have been killing it lately on Cops. It's become the TV version of a job interview where you ask, what's your biggest flaw? And the guy answers, well, sometimes I work too hard. So measuring police success in terms of, you know, efficiency of arrests is a funny way of, you know, measuring successful policing. Over 10 million arrests last year for very, mostly very low-level offenses, a million and a half of them for low-level drug charges. That, to me, is not a sign of police success. That's a sign of societal failure. In a way, COPS is telling us a lot about what policing really is. Policing really is about a constant, low-level harassment and arresting of poor people on frivolous charges for the most part. And that can't be done in a professional way. Our data on cops also raises some questions about the way the show portrays race. So for a little context, there was that study we mentioned earlier that was done in 1994 on policing reality shows. And it showed that at least back then, reality policing shows like cops overrepresented people of color as suspects, essentially presenting a world where black and brown people are responsible for more crime in cops world than in the real world. This study has been cited ever since. The civil rights group Color of Change even launched a public campaign against cops a few years ago, using this study as part of their argument. And rightly so. Even the people behind cops, even they acknowledge that the way cops portrayed race was an issue from the very beginning. The NAACP called up to Fox Network and said, you guys, you're portraying all criminals as black. This is Stephen Chow again. So 
you know, we kind of like, well, there's a disproportionate number. That, but, you know, it's like, but then we said, oh, wait a minute. They're actually right. So, you know, then there was this frantic search for find us white criminals. Find us like, where's the white criminals, white hotheads, white trash, white something, you know? And that led us within 10 or 15 episodes to Portland, Oregon. The show shifted a big part of their shooting to predominantly white communities in cities like Portland, Seattle, and, of course, Spokane, Washington, where they're arguing about whether to boot cops out of town. And there are some black folks there, but in the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of different crimes. So all of a sudden, everything changed a lot. So you, you have a lot of teenage kids, white teenage kids, going to Sherwin-Williams, popping open a can of paint primer and sniffing it and, like, you know falling on the ground or whatever. And that was a very different crime from, you know, Fort Lauderdale. Is it the least elegant solution they could have possibly come up with? For sure. But our data shows that it worked. In 846 episodes of Cops, 28% of all arrests are of black men and women. In the real world, according to the FBI data, 29%. It's pretty much the same. Big caveat here about those FBI numbers, people arrested is not the same as people who are committing the crime. And countless studies confirm people of color are targeted for arrest. But as far as race goes, by this measure at least, cops might not present a just world, but cops presents the real world. I am surprised by the fact that the, the real world arrest and the cops world arrests are even. This is Wesley Morris, a culture critic at large for The New York Times. A big chunk of his work is about the way race and class are depicted on screen. But most of the people I remember being arrested on that show are white people. Right. I definitely am aware of the appeal of that show being some combination of black people being suspects and like poor white people being so stupid that only a certain kind of white person is attractive to the police, right? Or, or worthy of having law enforcement inflicted upon it. There is something else that we found in our numbers about race on cops. But first, you need some context about reality shows in general. So stick with me here. A few years back, when I had my finger on the pulse of what kids in America really wanted to see on TV, I created this reality show that was on for a few years. It was a competition show for kids. And they would build stuff like amphibious vehicles or catapults from a giant pile of supplies we gave them. And they'd compete against each other. It was fun. But there was a trick we had to keep the kids watching. In the first five minutes of every show, we would blow something up. We'd blow up a house or a boat. We'd blow up a car or a truck. Always in the first five minutes. Is it ridiculous? Yes. But it's kids, right? And it kept them watching. It's kind of a reality show thing. You need to put some of your most compelling stuff up front, at the top of the show. You need to hook people with what they came to see. And they do this on Cops too. They put the action up front. For example, 66% of all chase scenes happen before the first commercial break on Cops. How all this relates to race is that what our data shows is that crime by people of color is front-loaded into the first segment of the show, the first few minutes of the episode. So with violent crime, for example, of all black suspects arrested on cops for violent crime, 46% happened before the first commercial break. 
For white violent crime suspects, it's only 29%. It's similar for drug crime. 48% of black people arrested for drugs on cops are arrested before the first commercial break. For white drug arrests, it's only 25%. Overall, a black suspect on cops is 17% more likely to be arrested before the first commercial break than a white person. The Langleys strongly deny this would ever be intentional. They told us the main consideration for the first act of the show is to show action. But even then, it skews. Of all white suspects chased on cops, 63% are chased before the first commercial. But for black suspects being chased, it's 73%. It's something you'd probably never notice just by watching a couple episodes. But it's there. And the question is, why? I think the appeal of the black-white dynamic is you probably don't even have to set it up. Wesley Morris again. You know, if you are aware as a viewer that if the people being pursued by the police are black, that you kind of understand what the story is. They probably did something and the police have to get them. It's not terribly sophisticated. If you've never seen cops before, but you live in this country, they understand how racism works. Yeah. You know, and even if they wouldn't call that dynamic racist... They understand that black people are either a problem or they're, they're a group of people people have a problem with. And the story kind of just tells itself. It's kind of like a wily e. Coyote Roadrunner cartoon in that way. Oh, God, that's depressing. It sure is. I mean, I don't know. I wish I could sound more depressed. I live with this. I've been thinking about this since I was, like you know, eight years old, nine years old. I just saw this show and was just like... <laughs> I don't want to get. I don't want the. I don't want the police anywhere near me. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's the point. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder. I didn't do it. I didn't do a thing. You can't prove it. You can't prove I did. They're going to prove it, Paul. I'm going to help them prove it. One more thing about Dragnet. One thing that Dragnet did do is that the bad guys, they had a story, an arc, with a motive, a reason for doing what they did. I didn't mean it, Dan. It was an accident. I wasn't boozed up. On cops, it doesn't work that way. There's no depth to the suspects. They're just the bad guys. I really enjoy catching bad guys. The cops on cops say it so much you'd think they were getting paid by the mention. And plus, we get to uh, inconvenience the bad guys. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I enjoy catching the bad guy. Well, it worked out good. We got the bad guys, got the car back with no damage. And the bad guys get no backstory, no motive. It's just an onslaught, one after the other, episode after episode, like a zombie movie. And the only thing between us and them is the thin blue line. Since 1989, this PR arrangement worked like a charm for law enforcement. But around 2009, this started to change. Because it was around this time that everyone's phone became a camera like the show Cops had. We are uh, looking at the three most egregious police abuse videos that have come to light in 2011. And everyone's YouTube account became a broadcast network. No justice! No peace! No justice! No peace! And then, about two years ago, another policing reality show came along that would make cops seem kind of quaint, actually. Because this one is on even more often than cops. This one was the most DVR'd show of 2018. And on this one, it all happens live. That's next time 
on Running From Cops. Tonight we are live in Greenville and Richland counties in South Carolina. With the this thing has tapped into something that I can't explain. I've never seen anything like it before, not in 28 years. Live PD, Spokane, home of drugs and domestic. Spokane is the white trash capital of the Northwest. Spokane needs some hygiene, to put it nicely. Well, maybe it's exposing exactly the way things are, and you're afraid that you might have to fix the problem. I can, as a city, say, there's the parameters if you want to put this on TV and make money off of somebody's mug in my city. We could ban them for all we want. They're making money. Running From Cops is produced by Henry Malofsky. And me, I'm Dan Taberski. Our associate producers are Courtney Harrell and Diane Hodson. Joel Lovell is our editor. And thanks to Leela Day for her editorial input. Our music is by Mark Orton and John Hancock. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street. The team for Topic Studios is Letal Malad and Lisa Leingang. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show. It means a lot, and it's also a nice way to let other people discover it. Thanks. If you are listening to this and you are on COPS, we would love to talk to you. We've talked to some already, but we would love to hear from more of you about what your experiences have been with the show. Call us at 209-2-ON-COPS and leave a voicemail. That's 209-266-2677, or you can email us at copspodcast at gmail.com. You can find Running From Cops on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us and check out more podcasts from topic at topic.com slash podcasts.